We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What do you think about the Laker team now? You follow the box scores of the games every day? Just the Lakers. You're kidding. That is really a compliment. I was pleased to see you smile at the top of our show because once the game starts, you have a game face. You don't smile much out there. I don't think you have to do things for money anymore. Correct. What's up, Laker fans? It is game day, and the Lakers find themselves in a familiar position about to play the biggest game of the season. We've done this a few times before, but never with these kind of stakes. Game six against the Golden State Warriors at home, second round. The defending champs, Mike, been a couple pods since you've been on, man. How you feeling going into this one? I want to take a step back before we really get into the preview, and if you want more of the tactical stuff, Listen to yesterday's pod as well, but I just want to take a moment to kind of soak this in and, and embrace the moment. This is a beautiful thing, Mike. And if you had told us on media day that we would be in the second round up 3-2 at home against the Golden State Warriors, I think we would have all done backflips. And so I'm so excited to be in this position tonight. I also think it's like a 50-50 game. I think it could go either way. So what say you, Mike? What do you see about tonight's game? Yeah, I... I wouldn't say 50-50. I think the Lakers have a much better chance than that uh, in this game. Uh, It is a home game. They have yet to lose at home. It's a game where you know that LeBron is going to give whatever he has. And I think that he's been this. You can basically replay what I'm saying now from what I said heading into game six against Memphis. Mm -hmm. Uh, This is the point that we've been making about basically the whole season about LeBron. And I think he he knows what it takes to get through a regular season. With his body, he knows what it takes to get through a playoff series. And this is now essentially game seven. And therefore, it's more rim attacks from LeBron. It's better atten- It's better attention defensively in the first quarter. It's walling off a lot of what Draymond Green and Andrew Wiggins was getting. That's, by the way, the other reason it's not 50-50. Uh, AD, it, it sounds like, is should be playing and should be normal. Mm-hmm. And Wiggins is going to be limited um, yeah. if he's playing. He's got a real injury um, with his with some torn rib cartilage that's super painful. Mm. And think, think about all the stuff that Wiggins has been doing with rebounding, with getting through screens, with setting screens. All of that stuff involves contact. But even if you have an injured rib, and now I'm going to speak about it, even though I've never had one, but I could just imagine like trying to just raise up to shoot yeah. and just do, do that, make that motion right now. And what is that, what area of the body you know, are you feeling that in it's, it's like directly in your rib. So that's all part of it. But in terms of like the coverages and what the Lakers are going to do and you know, how, where does, how many ball screens do the Warriors do with staff and you know, how, 
all of that stuff to me, I don't know that there's a major edge that either team is going to get from it. Um, I, either way, uh, I think that at this point, they, they basically know what they can do and they're going to make choices as to when to do what. But ultimately, the Lakers can play much harder, much more aggressive than they did in game five. And they knew that going into game five. And so did we. And the biggest reason is LeBron. So I think the Lakers should have uh, as much respect as they need and they should have for this Warriors team. And I think they've been treating him with respect, but they have a clear edge to me going into this game. A home game with a trip to the conference finals on the line with LeBron James and Anthony Davis on your team. You have to feel as good as you possibly can considering the strength of the opponent on the other side and Mm -hmm. who they have in their stable as experienced in championship level players as well. And I agree with Mike's sentiment that as the home team and the team who just came off of a loss, it is super hard to win two games in a row in any playoff series. And the further you go in the playoffs, that becomes more true. It's why the most difficult game to win in this series was game four, because the Lakers won one and then they lost one. And then in game three, they won. And then in game four, it's just like, okay, how is this going to break? And it basically took everything the Lakers had in order to win that game. And the Warriors fought like hell to get it because they knew that in this exact circumstance, they were going to have to win on the road in in order to win. Now, to the Warriors' credit, I think it goes back to um, Cro-Magnon and the Dinosaurs the last time the Warriors went through a playoff series and didn't win a road playoff game. Yeah. So they, they, should be, they should feel confident, Pete, in their own abilities in order to go out there and win one road playoff game. They did it in a game seven just in the last round against a very game opponent in the Sacramento Kings. So I'll kick it back to you here, not on tactics, but just on the idea of experience and knowing and being in the moment, because I think those are the things that sort of, they like trump X's and O's to a certain extent, right? Especially in games like this, right? These are, are games where guys who are normally productive, normally play well, can start feeling sort of the gravity and pressure of the whole circumstances. And we've got a lot of guys who haven't been in this position before, right? It's particularly in their role. And so that is a place where I do think Golden State has an advantage, right? Like they've got a lot of been there, done that on their team. And so do we, especially up top. But, you know, this is Austin's first time in this sort of position. Even a guy like Dennis, who's been around for a long time, like he's, I think, going to have a really elevated role against the defending champs, right? Like this is some of the highest level basketball he's ever played. Lonnie presumably is going to get good minutes. This is the first kind of end of series against a good team experience that he's going to have. And so what are your thoughts on that, Mike? That whole idea, we got this young crew who I believe in, but that's part of my like 50-50 proposition is that these can be tough games for guys without experience. Well, are you, what do you mean? So what are we just not thinking about the first round series? That they weren't? So the first round series, I don't view Memphis in the same class as Golden State. Like I, going in, So going into game six, I'm glad you brought that up. Going into game six against Memphis, I felt pretty confident about that game. And in large part because I don't think Memphis is particularly serious beyond a certain point. Uh, whereas the mental fortitude that I think it takes to go on the road and win a game six against a crowd that's going to be nuts and a, a Lakers team led by LeBron in AD. I think that that is too much for a team like Memphis. Absolutely not for Golden State. In fact, they're going to be the ones 
I think that that have that kind of hunter's mentality as well. So we have to match that. Yeah, I, I guess I think I agree with that, like certainly about the difference between Golden State and Memphis. But I also don't think that the Lakers in this context, and especially with LeBron, and like I don't think that the experience that the players went through against Memphis and the pressure of that moment was any less than the pressure of this moment of trying to close them out and not wanting to go back to Memphis, which would have happened had they lost that game. So I agree that the Warriors are going to handle the pressure better than Memphis to an extent, but that's not going to impact the Lakers energy uh, for this one, I don't think. And that's to me the whole key for them. I'm less concerned about the energy, Mike, as the ability to sustain. So part of the value of that game six against Memphis was we blew them out, right? There was no third quarter. We're down by five and you got to kind of mentally and emotionally keep it together. Now, this has been a super resilient Lakers team. I don't want to make it sound like they don't have that. I'm just saying they don't have a lot of reps doing it. You know what I mean? Well, LeBron's got more reps against Golden State specifically than anybody. (laughs) For sure. Um, AD's got plenty of reps in these kind of situations and they're the two guys that dictate the Lakers energy. And they're the two guys that whenever they get into the huddle and if, if it's whatever, it's Lonnie Walker, I never worry about Austin Reeves in any of these kind of situations. I never worry about Dennis Schroeder in these kind of situations. They, they don't have the type of personnel that, that I won't name a specific team, but like there are other teams in the playoffs that have sort of taken the opportunity to, to take their foot off a little bit. I think when the Lakers have, it's been, almost by need. And that's more speaking about energy. And that's why, again, and I'm, I'm the mental warfare at this point of the series to me with these two teams has not been the difference. The difference has been the, the level of physical aggressiveness and the attacking nature. And that's how, that's how Golden State has won their two games. It's by Draymond Green coming out like a bat out of hell with a bet with a attitude and the Lakers kind of both times seeing it. And, you know, matching it some, but ultimately being like in the first in the second game, we're up one oh, you know, going to go back home. And then in game five, we're going back up. Uh, we're going back up three, two. And it's not this is where it's complicated. Like, it's not that it's not worth matching it. It's that it's going to take it's it's difficult to expect that Golden State can have that exact same um, level that is more than what the Lakers will have. And that's where I go back to the original point about LeBron and the early attack energy. That's where this series is different from Memphis because I don't think Golden State has the personnel um, to to handle that level of attack. And that's not saying that they can't win this game six, which they absolutely can. Uh, I I just think that the Lakers should be a clear favorite um, in it. I think that's fair. I just want to point out that I'm not talking about energy. I think our energy is going to be great. It's more that D, can you hold it together in those higher pressure situations, which I do think they can, right? But it is something that the younger players in particular don't have a lot of experience doing. Yeah. And this is where like, I'll fly my Swiss flag a little bit, right? Because where the Warriors beat the Lakers in game five was with a certain amount of relentlessness, physically and mentally. And I thought that the Lakers didn't fold mentally. I thought they made LeBron, especially made sort of a couple of calculated choices around how much am I going to put my foot on the gas right now in order to exert myself for a game that does need like, let's say on any given game, any given playoff game against the Warriors, you need. Out of a scale of one to a hundred, you need to be in the 90s in order to 
beat them. Yeah. Winning game five on the road was probably going to need to be like, oh, we have to redline and maybe actually go faster. Yeah. Like we need to be more than than 100 yeah. on, on a certain level. And there were some calculations there made. And this is where I credit the Warriors. And this is the effort level I think the Warriors are going to give tonight as well, which is going to be super important for the Lakers to, and this is where I waffle back to what you're saying, Pete, that the ability to sustain and not, not give in at all over the course of the full game is going to be super important because I don't, and look, I'd love to be wrong about this. I don't envision the Lakers being up by 20 in the fourth quarter and them being able to sort of be like, all right, we dispatched of this team. Let's start game planning for Denver. Right. Like I expect this game to be much closer to game one or game or game four, which was like in the closing minutes, this is up for grabs. And in those moments, any team can make mistakes. Right. And so and this is why I'm just like, look, down the stretch of game four, it was actually the Warriors. It was who turned the ball over on two key possessions. And it was the Lakers who got a couple of key stops and then a defensive rebound at the end where Lonnie got fouled. That was a one point game, like a two point basket basically puts them ahead and probably wins. Right. And so in those instances, like the Lakers have also shown that they have that fortitude that you mentioned, Pete. And, and so we're all speaking the same language here. And, and I think we're all on the same page around what is required. Mm-hmm. I think that the level of which our confidence is about how much the Lakers will be there for the full course of the game is going to be interesting. But I do trust, I do trust the mental focus of LeBron and AD. And of I course. do think that when they are in that moment, the other players sort of have no choice but but to fall in line Mm -hmm. to a certain extent because they're in those instances it is lebron and ad who are propping them up it's not those guys who have to prop lebron and ad up which in other facets of the game mike lebron and ad do need that that propping up maybe from the physicality or the running or all of the energy like like the hustle plays, but from the mental aspect, I think when LeBron is looking at you or he, or you miss a, you miss a rotation or you need to be in this spot instead, he is turning at you almost instantly and barking at you. Like we need this right now. And that level of like, Oh shit is a great point. Yeah. I have no choice, but to be 1000% locked in right now, because like I'm feeling that pressure, not pressure, but I'm feeling that drive and that pull from LeBron James and Anthony Davis. Like there are no mistakes now. And I think that's the level of focus that those two will bring. And I think it will lift up the other players. Well, remember going into game six in the first round, coming out of game five, the post game questions that I asked for Darvin Ham and AD were like, well, how much are you going to extend AD's minutes? Because at the time, the second unit was really struggling and they were getting, they were just getting killed by Memphis and the physicality and all those minutes. And like in this case, we haven't talked about that as much, but AD, of course, goes out early in the fourth, well, I guess about seven minute mark of the fourth quarter by getting, after getting hit in the head. Uh, and he ends up playing 32 minutes. LeBron, they do end up extending LeBron to 39 minutes, but I wouldn't say that his fourth quarter minutes, which were, you know, probably nine of those mm-hmm. were the most uh, physical. 
that he's ever had to play, right? It was sort of just manage the game and see if you can get a couple threes. And, you know, they never got closer than nine. And to me, this this series is so close. And these teams are so both so good that the difference between, like, you got Draymond's best effort. Uh, you got Wiggins' best effort. You got a very steady, you know, Curry game, even though the Lakers are still spending most of their time paying attention to him. Clay is not going to be able to go to go off. I think like he has in past times because of how much screen roll they're running with Curry. That that's not an action that particularly gets Clay like the types of shots and the amount of shots, the volume of shots that are going to work because they're not going to just leave him out there. And therefore, he's not the he's not in those. He's not the one that's cutting to the basket. He's not the one that's getting the ball in those short rolls. And so I don't I don't think that there's that as much of a possibility um, for that to happen. So it's really. It's why I keep returning to, you know, the energy that LeBron and and the activity level that he gives early that gets the building going, that gets the teammates going. And that's why, like, that's what the Lakers fought for when they got game one uh, and when they protected home court, even after taking Golden State's best punch uh, in game four. And, and that's the that's the part that I'm sort of my experience in being in these types of arenas and what happens in playoff games as long as they're close enough. That, that's what I feel like I've seen. And I think the way that that activity and energy and engagement plays out on the court for the Lakers is especially on the defensive end, right? Like we're at our best when we go on defensive runs and in game four, Lakers hold the Warriors to 17 points, right? And this has been a theme that when the Lakers really close out a team, it's on that defensive end. And so that, I think you're spot on with that, Mike. And I think that that is the best, the best route to, to winning. I have a concern on the offensive end though. So let's take a break. When we come back, let's talk about it. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. 
That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. I feel like in a general sense, guys, our offensive, our main offensive guys are like B to A minus level offensive players. And that is really good, right? But having watched this team all year, there isn't a, we really need a bucket. We're going to do one of these couple of things and it's probably going to work, right? Like the way that Golden State has with Steph Curry. They have a reliable, we need to score this guy's going to be able to generate us a good shot. It's more like here and there with this team. And Darius, before the pod, you were listing off uh, LeBron and AD's stats in closeout games, right? And so for the preview, you're writing for Lakers.com. So I think that in games like this, that's where that has to come from, is the LeBron and AD having a 30-point night type of thing, right? And in being those type of offensive hubs, because what I've seen from this team so much going uh so far, it's been great, really high-level defense, but offensively, it's a, it's a little – I'm not sure where we're going to go. This is where offense and defense are inextricably linked with any LeBron and Anthony Davis team. And so the Lakers scored really effectively in the last game, right? It's just like, oh, look at this, a shootout. Isn't this great? But it was almost all dependent on jump shooting and then with AD sort of getting some grimy baskets. But it was just like, oh, look, here's LeBron. He's bombing threes. And Austin with another long jumper. And look, even Dennis here getting into the mid-range and knocking down his mid-range shot. When the Lakers go on those 13 to 3 runs or 14 to 2 runs, or we've even seen like, oh, that's a 22 to 2 They've run. They've had or some that's monsters, a, yeah. That's a 30 to 8 run. And it's, those are almost all like defense-inspired, getting out in the break, scoring in, transition. Now we get fouled. And so two, three points at the foul line. Now you're going up against a set defense. And now you have to score again against this set set defense. And oh, no, you missed. And now it's early offense again. And it snowballs. And suddenly you've scored on one of your last six possessions. And the Lakers aren't fouling. That's how it snowballs. And so to your point around needing there to be a go-to action, it's like the go-to action is can we get a stop and secure a defensive rebound and then push? Mm. And the Warriors, as the series has gone on, have been better at better at, at slowing down the Lakers' transition attack. But they're n- that takes a ton of effort too, particularly when you're a team that wants to go to the offensive glass. And so how do they manage that is, I think, the pivot point in the game because the Lakers are not drawing as many fouls as they're used to drawing in half-court situations, but they are drawing fouls in transition situations, LeBron especially. But even Austin, right, like Dennis, these are where they're drawing their fouls. It's by going to the basket almost unimpeded and then attacking a guy at the rim. They either have to foul you or they're going to force a miss and then someone's going to clean up the offensive glass and now a guy is getting crammed into, right? And so when you talk about a go-to action, Pete, like 
to me, it's not so much as like the old reliable LeBron and AD pick and roll or LeBron in the post or AD in the post. I think those are all viable actions and they'll go to those, Mike. But I think that if the Lakers are going to feel comfortable, quote unquote, offensively in this game, it's going to be because their defense is pushing them towards better offensive opportunities, both in transition and in early offense. Yeah, so the way that you described the half-court offense, Pete, I think is totally right for what we've seen so far this series. And, and the reason is that Draymond Green has been playing great. Uh, they've been going to that lineup, and he's 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 both bothering Anthony Davis, and then he's recovering into the middle of the paint. And if if Reeves or D'Lo look up and they get a screen and they see Draymond, and they're just they're like, nah, I'm I'm not going to go attack that, and therefore they're getting stagnant. And the solution, though, forgive me for repeating myself again is LeBron James. Like it's not going to happen every possession, but he is Draymond is not he cannot stop an actual fully charged LeBron foray into the paint. Do we know what what that fully charged looks like though right now Mike? Like if he was moving like he was I was watching his game in in January and the way he was moving then, I was like if we had that guy, I'd be feeling really good right now. That's kind of the the foundation of of my nervousness. So this is again, it's it's such a subtle difference, right? But it's the difference between what watching what we've just seen and what you've just watched again on tape. Like it's on the film. This is the Laker Film Room Podcast. I get it. <laughs> you know, I'm I am not trusting that. I am trusting that LeBron is going to a, at least a little bit of a higher level with those types of drives. And that to me is what breaks Golden State's defense. Ultimately, not not like I love it, not 10 times, but three times, you know, how many times did he have to do it against Memphis in Memphis had Jaron Jackson Jr. in there, but LeBron figured out how to put him in the right spot on the floor so that he could attack. You know, that's that's ultimately what I think you have to trust, not as a Laker fan or uh, as we've gone over. That's not me. Uh, I'm I'm saying I'm I believe until I see it not happen that LeBron will be able to do it enough to get one win at home with his teammates healthy. But the the context under which he's going to do it in, we haven't seen a lot of it this series. And, yeah. and by the way, they might not, he didn't have to do it in game six against Memphis because they kicked the shit out of him defensively. And then yeah. it opened up all the stuff that Darius was talking about. All of that, like that's all, that's all stuff that's going to happen. And, and that's that's without even getting the D'Angelo Russell trail three, right? That like really gets the crowd in and kind of demoralizes the opponent. But I'm just, uh, it, and by the way, l- let me add AD into this. Draymond also can't stop a steady diet of Anthony Davis attacks. He can discourage one or two. He might draw a charge, right? He might block a shot here or there. But when Davis was, was not taking no for an answer, uh, it, that was when Draymond got in foul trouble. And I think that's the other way to attack this. So don't, it doesn't yep. have to be Austin Reeves. And this is a, this is the superstar game. Yes. Agreed. It's great. If Lonnie, if somebody like Lonnie Walker or Reeves or Russell or um, anybody else on the roster, Vanderbilt wants to, wants to hit a corner three in the first quarter. Great. You know, but it's, this is more like LeBron AD uh, versus Steph and Draymond and clay. And what mm-hmm. do LeBron and AD have that those three guys don't have power. You know, this is a power game and that's what that's what they have to go to. And it's it's not necessarily going to be easy, uh, but I think that that that's the sort of solution to those half court problems in particular. Mike right there just moved me up to 55 D. I'm now at 55, 45 Lakers. Now I'm responsible for, uh, for if, if they have yes, to yes, lose. Yes, for all my hopes and dreams. Yeah, yeah, no pressure. 
the interesting thing is though, and, and so we haven't talked tactics at all, right? And so the idea of LeBron driving more, that's great. So it's like, what's the configuration in which that happened? One of the things that I'm super interested mm-hmm. in seeing is Darwin had media availability yesterday and he got asked, or and this might have even been post-game, but the idea of like, hey, what are you gonna do about your lineups? Like, is it time to like potentially change the lineups, right? And Darwin was sort of like, you know, we'll look at everything. Um, but it may be that you you play the people that you've been playing and you do the things that you've been doing, but you just do it better than what you did it the last game. And there's some truth in that. The other truth is, though, is that the the two players with the lowest plus minus for the Lakers in this series are LeBron James and Jared Vanderbilt. Now, if it was just LeBron James, like it was in Memphis for a little while, that would tell me that the second unit that LeBron champions or captains, basically, when Vanderbilt is out of the game is struggling. Because that's what was happening in Memphis. AD's plus minus was through the roof. And LeBron's was like at, was in the negative or right at neutral. And that tells you where the game has been won and lost, basically. The fact that both LeBron and Vanderbilt are low on that list. Vando's only playing with LeBron. Vando's playing like 18 minutes a game. And like, I don't know, man, what, 12 of those, 13 of those are with the starting group? It's I mean, like he's playing 11. Yeah. Like, and all of those is of one shift with, with the, the starters. starters. Yep. And those, and those were bad, right? Like, and so that speaks to your point, right? Like that, that's the group. Yeah. That's where the minus is coming. And so it's going to be difficult to uncork those drives that Mike is talking about, which I think are going to be crucial, like double pain attacks from the Lakers, two best paint hunting players. That's the way that you threaten a team that's small. They're playing Draymond Green at center and Andrew Wiggins at power forward and the Lakers aren't scoring at the basket because they're basically collapsing in the paint off of Jared Vanderbilt. It's the same idea that Memphis was using when Vanderbilt was in the game, but they're just doing it with like another small player who can then rotate back out to the perimeter, right? And so... Well, just Darius, quickly, the, the question is how much of that is because they're settling, and how much of that is because Golden State's really good at this and that's what they usually do and they make teams into it. But like the first possession of game five and I, I the first possession, this is the whole thing for me. LeBron has a jumper that Golden State concedes, doesn't take it, swings it to AD, has a jumper, doesn't take it. AD repositions himself in the paint. LeBron gets him the ball. AD turns and draws a foul on green. Like it's not that complicated sometimes. They're just, they're not they haven't been doing it. And I'm not just arguing all of a sudden they're going to do it every possession of game six and it's all going to be fixed and they've figured it out. It's just that they like, they know deep down that they can attack that way. If LeBron and AD refuse to settle. And I just think that it's been like, they got up three, one in some ways by, by just saying solid, you know, but now golden States coming at a different level. And I think that's what it requires them to not settle like that. And for me, I think it's a geometry problem, what you post, D, that that if Vando's on the court, I don't think those drives are open. If there's any just lasting, to me, basketball lesson from 
from the Russ era is that having another player who has a legit weakness as a jump shooter next to LeBron and AD makes things significantly harder on offense. And part of the big turnaround the Lakers have had has been they've had like literally the opposite type of players in many circumstances around them. And all of a sudden it looks wonderful. So I think this matters a lot personally. In all, all the situations I'm talking about, Vanderbilt is not on the court. Like, I don't think LeBron and AD are going to have all these rim attacks like with him on the, on the court. Uh, I agree. So I don't think he's going to play that much. Right, even so, if he starts. I think that was your point, right, D? That yes, it's the, more just like, yeah. okay, well, how are you then going to establish this offensive attack? And here's the other thing, too. It's just like the, the tricky thing for Vanderbilt is, and I think that in this last segment, I'd love to sort of get to some of the defensive tactics because the Warriors have really found ways to keep Anthony Davis out of the paint. And for all the talk that I made about like, hey, the way that you get this team going on offense is by getting stops and going in in transition. Well, if the Warriors are scoring at the clip that they've been scoring at and generating and getting the shot quality that they've been getting over the last couple of games, they're going to continue to score. Right. And so some of this is dependent on who do you guard? And with the way that the Lakers have rearranged their defensive assignments, Vanderbilt has now become the guy whose on-ball defensive pressure is less applicable because he's yeah. not guarding like an offensive threat. He's been stuck on like Gary Payton, right? And so because, he's not really providing the defensive value that he normally would. Yeah, it's just like, so... That's where that's what that's another reason why his minutes have slipped. It's not because it's not just because he's not scoring or hitting the shots. It's because his defensive utility has gone down based off of what his his assignment is. And so for me personally, and I'll explore some of this in uh, my my preview at uh, well, Lakers.com, but if Vanderbilt is going to play, I'd love to see him get deployed on someone where his defensive pressure might actually be meaningful and, and have a bigger impact than, than what it's had. Maybe that's on Clay. It's just like, look, you're going to play 11 minutes a game and it's going to be against the star starting group. Go chase Clay Thompson so that that's AD helpful. maybe doesn't have to show as much on those actions, the off ball screens, and he can camp closer to the if he's going to guard these guys, try to shut off the water somewhere else. Like, because Vando as a helper, the Warriors don't feel him as a helper. They feel him as a ball pressure player That's or right. a guy who is fighting over screens and contesting shots. And when was the last time you saw Vando contest a shot in the half court? The last defensive play that he made was that great block against Draymond, but that was in transition. It's just like, his his impact defensively has has gone down basically every game. Remember the first game? It seems like a decade ago when he was ball denying Steph. Yeah, it was like, oh, and guarding Steph. Yeah, we were going nuts about it. Yeah. And so that's gone away and it's gone away through tactics that the Warriors have have deployed in order to try to impact Anthony Davis. And, and, and so I'm super interested in like we've talked about, well, there's not really a lot of tactics left. It's just like that's true, but it's not 100 percent true. There's right. always some tactics left to to explore. The question is, is do you actually want to try them because you're so late in the series? Because if you try them and they don't actually work, you're kind of screwed because you've sort of put all your eggs in the single basket. So I'm just super interested in, in this push and pull between this. And Vanderbilt is an interesting pivot point because he can help defensively, Mike, but he is a hindrance offensively. And, and that's, that's something that they have to juggle. 
Yeah, I think the way it plays out in game six is that you see Darvin sticks with the starting lineup that he's been using and just hopes that kind of the early activity and the energy and the, the all that kind of stuff just helps the Lakers and the Vanderbilt gets an offensive rebound or maybe he hits a shot or whatever it might be. But if it's not working, then, you know, Schroeder is sort of ready uh, to come in pretty quickly. And then, so this is where I want to take Vanderbilt out of the discussion some. Assuming that that's not an issue, right? And whether it's Shooter in there or even it's some, it could be Lonnie, it could be Hachimura, you know, what what are the the key points defensively then uh, about for the Lakers? What is the optimal way, Pete, this series that they have guarded Steph Curry? And how much of it is switching that they did in the second half, which you've been calling for? How much of it is is just uh, is AD staying in the paint no matter what and them doubling off or helping off somewhere else? What is the... And, could be all of the above right that's usually my answer in these kind of things you're you're not just going to throw one thing at Steph and be like hey we'll do this coverage all game Uh, but what what are the ways that you've seen that and how do you how do you think it's most important in a game six like this when with the knowledge that you know in game seven at Sacramento the last time Golden State had the must win uh, he basically just decided to go in full-on solo attack mode the whole game and I think a big part of that was they made Sacramento go so small that it was like, oh, you don't have it's Trey Lyles at the five. I'm going yeah, to the bucket. Nobody you know? on the court that could impact it yeah. much. Exactly. And so that's part of the fun of this is that the answer to that question, that is how much of it is this or that or this, is really a possession to possession type of thing. And that's the chess match that not only the coaches, but even more so the players on the court from possession to possession are navigating. And Golden State, I would argue, is the best ever at that. They understand the sequence. They understand the if the defense does this, then I do that. Their whole offense is based off of read and react uh, processing. Like, so their ability to be like, oh, that that exact scenario, you're doing this, so I'm going to do that. And then having the skills to be able to cash out on the advantage that you create from reading the defense properly. It comes down to this for me, though, defensively. If you're going to start Draymond Green and Gary Payton II, it's a similar principle of what we were just talking about with Vando in that, like, make them beat you with jump shots. Now, Draymond hit his jumpers last game. Draymond is scary to me in a game like this because he's an all-time great that guys like that have games like that and games like this. Clay Clay Thompson, same type of thing, right? Although I think your point about the on-ball screens greatly reducing his volume, I think is spot on, Mike. Um, So... All of that, right, like I think I think matters a lot, but make them beat you with jump shots, D, right? You got Gary Payton the second and Draymond in that group. I think that is the place that you can cheat off of with AD if if you do it right. Now, how to do that? Are you helping one pass away? I think that's probably the next card to play in the sequence is like one pass over the defender, you know, stunts a little bit more, and then you give up a wing three to Moses Moody, who's been shooting well, right? Or yes. Gary Payton the second, Draymond Green, right? There's no version of this where it's like, we're going to do this and they're not going to score, right? But I, I do think that we have a couple cards left to play. We do. We've talked a lot about LeBron and LeBron's like offensive gear and the gear that he can reach offensively in in order to like access this level of him as a rim seeking player. And I think that we will see more point LeBron. I think we will see more attacking switches and trying to like hunt some of their lesser defensive players. Anthony Davis is the best defensive player in the world, and he can access a level as well that we haven't necessarily talked about where there's fluctuations within Anthony Davis's defensive game 
as well. Now, his baseline is super high. I'd argue that his baseline is as high as any other players in the league when they're basically playing their baseline level of defense as well. There's very few players that can access the level that Anthony Davis can access defensively. Right. For all the talk about like, oh, did you see what Jokic did? He had a hundred point triple double with 45 rebounds. It's (laughs) like, oh, my God, this dude's unbelievable. Did you see Steph? He scored 60 points and made 15 threes. It's just like, oh, my God. Did you see Anthony Davis? He shut down the entire world defensively and basically caused a blackout in the arena. Mm. That's the level that he can get to when he is fully playing with a bunch of motor. And this is why LeBron James as the I've got one more game in me as this elite control the game offensively, that allows Anthony Davis to recede offensively Mm. and then explode defensively and shift gears. And I am looking for if the Lakers are going to win this game and they're going to be and they're going to win it with with confidence. It's going to be because LeBron James is controlling the game offensively and Anthony Davis is controlling the game defensively to the levels in which you can control it against an opponent that is this good and this smart and this talented and has this much pedigree and pride. Right. And so no one's talking about a blowout here, but I'm talking about, oh, this thing got shut off because Anthony Davis did this not on. 20 possessions, like Mike was saying, but on five possessions, maybe the five most critical possessions in which it needs to happen. And that's sort of what I'm looking for, too, in terms of if you're trying to navigate this from a Lakers perspective. A quick thing on Anthony Davis. He had no blocks in the last two games, and I don't expect that to continue. There are some reasons for it where Golden State has him playing defense and trying to get out to the three point line and then recovering and They've done some clever things there, but I, I think that I think that changes. Uh, he did have three steals in game four, uh, but none in game five. And so that's that's one thing, just his activity defensively uncorked all that. But the thing that I would focus on that I haven't mentioned much, you can't you can't shut Steph Curry down. Um, he's too good. He might yep. miss some shots. You can make his shot. You can make him difficult, but that's what true offensive superstardom is. And, and so that's fine. You know, you're going to have to live with a certain amount of it. You cannot let, though, if you're the Lakers, you cannot let Draymond Green alpha you um, like he did last game and like he did in game two. That is something that AD specifically and LeBron, to an extent, they can shut that down. They can match that. They can take him out. They can make him take jump shots. They can take away his layups to an extent. They cannot let him bark um, and and own the referees and like that is the alpha that has to get met at home in game six. Steph can't can't mess with Steph. He's going to do whatever he's going to do his thing. Uh, but I, I, for me, I would not allow Draymond um, if I were AD and, and LeBron as friendly as they are. And, and and that's not, that's not that they're letting him because they're friends. I'm saying like that the nasty that I expect them to bring has to be met, has to meet Draymond. Cause that is the way that golden state can come in and win. Um, if he, if he struts around and he, and he's the one that is leading from the alpha perspective, uh, can't be him. LeBron and AD and Draymond all woofing at each other. Sounds like, Tremendous entertainment. What a what a game. Uh, chance to go to the Western Conference Finals to meet Denver, who looked phenomenal in their series. Congratulations to them. I cannot wait for tonight's game. We'll be back either tonight or tomorrow to discuss how it went. But until then, you've been listening to the Laker Film Room Podcast. We'll catch you guys next time. Baines has got it in low to McHale. McHale wants to turn his double team. Just pass out of front, broken up by Worthy. Tip to Magic. Worthy dies on his belly. Magic scores. There's Magic got it. Magic fires, it's good, and the Lakers win!
Seconds remaining. Denver a foul to give. Jokic trying to disrupt Rondo. He puts it in. Here's Davis. 4-3 in the win. Oh, it's good! Anthony Davis has won it for the Lakers! James again. Oh, he hits another one. LeBron James putting together a closing quarter against the Nuggets. This historic 2020 NBA championship belongs to the Los Angeles Lakers. The Lakers conquer the bubble. And banner number 17 will soon hang in the rafters. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.